Hi, and welcome back to EdChoice Chats. I'm Robert Enlow, President and CEO of EdChoice, and I'm here today with Jason Bedrick, our Director of Policy, to talk about Illinois' new school choice program. Welcome, Jason. Thank you for having me. Hey, Jason, let's first describe this program to our listeners. What type of program is it, and how does it work, and how many kids do you think will be eligible statewide? It's a tax credit scholarship program, which means that individual and corporate taxpayers can make contributions to nonprofit scholarship organizations for which they get a 75% tax credit. So if they donated $1,000, they would uh, have a credit on their taxes for $750. Uh, Those scholarship organizations then help fund low-income students attend the school of their choice. Uh, The full uh, program has uh, $75 million in tax credits, so that will produce $100 million in scholarship funds. It's not clear how much money each student is going to get yet. Um, Most can get up to around $13,000. Uh, but because the average K through eight uh, tuition is only about $5,000, we expect that many will get much less. So this could serve anywhere between about 5,000 to 20,000 students uh, in the next year. So that's great. Now, is it only low-income families that are eligible, or is it a broader section of society? It's up to 300% of the federal poverty line. Uh, and then, so that's in, around the $75,000 range. Uh, and then it goes up to, once you're in the program, a family's income can grow up to about 400% of the federal poverty line. So that's about $98,000 uh, per family per year. But low-income families uh, get priority. So if there's, um, you know, oversubscription, then only the low-income families would get uh, scholarships first before helping everybody else. So that's that's pretty interesting. So $75,000 for a family of four is what I'm guessing. So basically that's a uh that's a teacher and 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 a cop potentially. That's right. Uh so it's a certainly middle income America, uh which would be really interesting, middle and low income America. That's that's great to hear. Uh now before we get much deeper into analyzing this program which is called the Investing Kids program, How about let's discuss a little bit of Illinois' history with school choice and how the program came to be in 2017. So why do you think it's taken so long to get such a substantial program in a state like Illinois where there's such high need? And what do you think made this year different? Well, Illinois has always been a tough nut to crack. Uh, The unions are very, very powerful there. And so it, it just hasn't been high on the agenda but this year was different because there was a, a fight between a Republican governor and a Democratic legislature over um, school funding. Uh, there was a real game of chicken going on for a long time. Uh, the governor really wanted pension reform. Uh, the number one thing that the Speaker of the House did not want to give was pension reform. And so the way that both sides compromised was they wouldn't do the pension reform this time, but they would enact a program that would give more opportunities for those families who are most in need to choose a school that works best for them. And that ended up being the tax credit scholarship program that ended up in the final version of the bill, which was signed last week. Yeah, so it's very interesting. Illinois had a long history with school choice. It's been one of the program states that had what we call a personal uh, tax credit for families if they spent money on, on private education for a long time although that wasn't a very uh, 
large amount of money they could claim back. Uh, and it has had a, such a unique environment of, of Chicago-centric uh, charter schools and, and efforts with school choice, but nothing has gotten past it until this year. And, and I think you're right. There's this sense of it was the right person and people at the right place with the right bill. I mean, if it wasn't a school funding bill, it might not have happened. If it wasn't Rahner and the and Madigan and the legislature, then it might not have happened. So it's it just goes to show you how uh, things can come together to make something happen. So let's get to the nitty gritty of this. What do you think is good about the bill, and what do you think is bad about the program? Well, I think it's, you know the program itself is obviously a huge step in the right direction, uh, but it is relatively limited. I mean, a hundred million dollars sounds like a lot of money. But they're spending tens of billions of dollars on their uh, public school system. This program is really only going to help maybe a half a percent to one percent of the students in the state. So it's relatively small. It's also just a pilot program. It's uh, it, it phases out, uh, or there's a sunset clause. After five years, it disappears unless it's it's reenacted. And uh, one provision that I think is particularly troubling is that they impose the state test. Mm. Now, you know, a lot of people think uh, that that testing is important for accountability. The right balance when it comes to accountability is nationally normed reference tests. So what that means is a test like uh, the the Iowa test of basic skills or the SAT 10 that measure students learning uh, across the nation, but allows the school to choose from a menu of different tests. When you're imposing one single test that's aligned with the state standards, what you're essentially doing is imposing the state curriculum. And if that's what parents want, they have thousands of choices around the state uh, to go to any public school that already does that. But if they're looking for something else, it doesn't make sense that you're going to impose the same uh, accountability regime on all of the other schools that are trying to do other different things. Because when when their students are taking this test, uh, if they're not teaching the state curriculum, they're going to be at a disadvantage. Uh, for example, when they imposed Common Core in California, you had a lot of schools that had been teaching algebra in eighth grade, but algebra isn't tested on Common Core until ninth grade. And so all of those schools decided to shift when they were teaching algebra because otherwise their students would be tested on material that they hadn't seen in over a year. They would be at a disadvantage. The school would look bad. And so the state standards drove the curriculum. We don't want to see that in the private sector. Uh, so what a lot of states have done is impose nationally norm reference tests, again, giving uh, schools more autonomy and flexibility while at the same time uh, providing parents with information to help them make informed choices for their children. And so this is one of the trade-offs that we see all the time. And and, I, and frankly, I'm, I'm going to make a personal comment here about this. We often see ourselves in a situation where uh, we are trading off uh, the the idea of per, uh, school autonomy for this idea of being able to compare apples to apples, which sort of doesn't really make sense uh, because parents and kids are different across the spectrum. Moreover, I think one of the interesting things about this is uh, Mike McShane, at, currently at the Show Me Institute, and formerly at AEI, used to say, and still does, there are three types of school choice, things that school choice could do, right, or educational choice. One, a program can fill existing seats in existing schools. 
Uh, two, it could fill existing seats and add new seats in existing schools. And three, it could create new schools. For me, one of the weaknesses of this program is that the, the very most this program will do was fill some seats in existing schools. And that may be great for the parents, and we're supportive of that, but that's really not changing a dynamic of a system that's in deep trouble, particularly in Chicago. And so that leads me to ask you, Jason, from Ed Choice's philosophy about systemic reform and your philosophy about systemic reform, how do you think the Illinois legislature should improve the program, and do you actually think they will? In terms of whether I think they will, that I have no idea. Uh, you know, again, it's it's amazing, practically a miracle that they adopted this in the first place. I don't think that they, after five years, I, I find it hard to believe when thousands of low-income families are benefiting from the program that they would allow it to just disappear. And we've never seen a program that was uh, a school choice program that was ever repealed legislatively. So I do expect it to continue. Whether it's going to scale up or not, I don't know, but I think you hit the nail on the head. This is only going to fill empty seats. Uh, that's, that's great for those students who are going to benefit from it. But in terms of talking about real systemic change, I would be looking at other states like Arizona and Florida and Indiana uh, for leadership on that, not necessarily Illinois, at least not at this point, not until we see the success in other states and uh, those states that are lagging behind begin to demand it. Uh, but I would say, again, at the very least, I do expect that uh, the predictions of doom and gloom and that the sky is going to fall that we heard in Illinois and that we heard in the other 17 states that have tax credit programs, uh, you know, and, and the dozen or so states that have uh, voucher programs or, or ESAs, these doom and gloom predictions never come to pass. Uh, people, I think legislators in particular, uh, after many years of having a program operating, uh, having heard all the negative things that were predicted, and then watching with their own eyes that actually those things don't happen, that the public schools are not gutted, that they're not collapsing, uh, and that, as a matter of fact, the research shows that uh, increased choice and competition raises all boats, that uh, they're going to say, you know what, this program is helping kids, it's not hurting anybody, we should continue it. So that's, I think that's great, and I hope so. And in fact, I hope that uh, Illinois becomes as successful as Florida and, and getting parents involved in the sort of process of sharing their stories. You know, though, in our experience, and, and certainly in your experience, you know, once a, once a program is passed, you know, people who oppose the idea don't just run away and hide. They, they often come out in droves and, and get even angrier or get more involved. So what kind of steps do you think the opponents of school choice, educational choice will take in Illinois, and, and what do you foresee happening? Well, right now they're banging their spoons in their high chair like they usually do. Um, and and making really outrageous claims. There was uh, somebody, I believe, from a union uh, this past week that said uh, this is like putting a ticking time bomb on a school bus. Uh, you know, really ridiculous things. And 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 I, and I hope that uh, that that more mature uh, policymakers uh, recognize this sort of childish and incendiary rhetoric for what it is. Uh, in most states, I would say that I would expect the next step to be a legal challenge. Uh, but the thing is, first of all, no legal challenge against the tax credit scholarship program has ever been successful. Uh, and that's, again, there's 18 states that have it. 
Um, there have been unanimous or, or, or at least very strong decisions in a whole bunch of, of state uh, Supreme Courts uh, and a very strong decision from the U.S. Supreme Court about the constitutionality of these programs because they're not dealing with public funds. And so they tend not to run afoul of the Blaine Amendment, uh, which, which in many states uh, prohibits public funding from reaching religious schools. Uh, that said, in, in, in Illinois, there's, a, there's another reason to, to believe that they're not going to file a legal challenge. Not only have they been unsuccessful across many states, but you mentioned before that Illinois already has a personal tax credit. Uh, and state courts already ruled years ago in Tony v. Bowers uh, that those tax credits, again, are private funds, that uh, the funds never reach the public treasury. They don't enter the tax collector's hand. Uh, therefore, there are no constitutional impl implications. So uh, normally I would expect a lawsuit. Here I don't. Uh, in this case, I think what they're going to do is they're just going to mobilize uh, legislatively to try and block the reauthorization in five years. So that's great news that we don't see a legal challenge. At least we, we don't think one can work or one is around. But, you know, Chicago has often been called a a very unique political city, you know. If you look at the history of Chicago and and many of the things that have gone on there, uh, one could argue that there's a lot of dirty tricks, and maybe dirty tricks started in Chicago. Really, political dirty tricks. What kind of things do you think the opponents could do to really make this program suffer uh, in a, in a much more political way, as a way in terms of mobilizing, of course. But you know, I think it's important that our our listeners know that you know there have been efforts in other states to to try and uh, make schools look bad or to intimidate parents. Do you foresee this kind of thing happening in Illinois, possibly? Uh, quite possibly. I mean, I'm not uh, sure what tactics they're going to pull out. I think in this case, they have a, a, a strong legislative advantage just because uh, with any bill, it's it's hard. There are many more veto points than there are uh, opportunities to advance your legislation. So it's a, it's a lot easier to block legislation than the past legislation because they have the sunset clause, it's going to have to pass both chambers and be signed by the governor. All they have to do it is, is, is block it in one committee or prevent it from coming to a vote on the floor of one house, uh, and, and they will have effectively stopped it. So, so certainly the, the, they have the momentum uh, or, or inertia to some extent <laughs> on their side. And it's going to be up to parents that are benefiting from the program and want to benefit from the program to demand of their legislature, their legislators, that uh, they do bring these bills up for a vote in five years and, and do push it forward. That's awesome. I really appreciate that. All right, Jason, to conclude, uh, in your experience here, I want to get you one simple question. If you could describe your feelings about school choice or the future of educational choice in Illinois right now in one word, just one word, what would that be? Hopeful. I think that's a good word. And that's what we should all be hopeful because there's lots of movements still happening about educational choice around the country, not only in Illinois, but in places like Iowa, New Hampshire, and Arizona still got challenges that we're working on. There's lots of movement. As our readers or our listeners probably know, there are 30 states in, in, in D.C. or 29 states in D.C. That, have, that are operating 62 school choice programs. So there is a lot of reason to be hopeful. I want to thank everyone again for listening, and we want you to please follow and subscribe to our podcast if you'd like to hear more Ed Choice Chats. Please take care and have a good day. Mm -hmm.